0: Welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we are seeking to be firmly planted into the scriptures for our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy the show. Click subscribe, and let's dive into God's Word together. Welcome back to Firmly Planted Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Reins, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me here. As you were listening to this, whether it's in your car, whether it's on your iPhone, Or in other ways, I'm glad that you have joined me. Uh, Usually, I hate to do anything that would promote something that I am doing. um, But the nature of podcasting and the nature of getting things onto platforms, it does take um, you guys to make sure that things are happening. And that is getting into the hands uh, that we would want this podcast to get into. Because my desire is for firmly planted to be in the hands of every Christian and every person that we possibly can, so that we can share the truths of God's word uh, with the world, and so that we can be firmly planted in the scriptures. And to do that, I need you to go and subscribe as you are listening to this podcast and rate. And if you can, if you are willing, give it a five star. And share your thoughts because the more people that do this, the more subscriptions and the more of the ratings, the the analytics of what they are doing and and how how podcasters are are promoted on platforms, it will get into as many hands as possible. So thank you in advance for doing just that. And before we get started into this episode of the podcast, just want to go ahead and say I am sorry for my voice. If any strange sound comes out, or if something doesn't come uh, out quite right, um, or something cracks in my voice, or whatever it may be, um, because I have been struggling with a cold for the past week. Just now getting over it, I actually lost my voice Monday and Tuesday, and so preparing to speak to our students Wednesday night was definitely a struggle, drinking a lot of hot tea and making sure that my voice was ready for them Wednesday night, and so I am sorry Uh, in advance for my voice in any way, shape, or form. But if you recall from last week's episode, we are going over the marks of a Christian. How can we know that we're saved? What are the evidences of our salvation being true and genuine? The Bible is very clear that we will have evidences and proofs, or fruit, if you will, of our salvation, that when we got saved, it was true and genuine. And just as a small recap, in case you missed last week's episode, but I hope that you can go back and listen to that. Um, Number one, the true mark of a Christian is that a Christian cannot ignore sin. We cannot ignore the sin in our life. We have to confront the sin that is found in our life. Number two, a true Christian obeys Christ's commands. The ways And the things of Scripture that God commands us to do, we will obey it. And then number three, a true Christian does not love the world. We will love Jesus more than what the world tells us or the culture tells us how to live. Number four, a true Christian is faithfully involved in church. We will desire to be with other Christians to worship and lift high the name of Jesus and fulfill the mission that God has for us as the body of Christ. Number five, A true Christian confesses that Jesus is God. We will proclaim proudly that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So now we come to number six, and we want to dive right into this. A true Christian has a new nature. A true Christian has a new nature. We see this in 1 John Chapter 3, as we're walking through 1 John, looking at these marks of a Christian, again, I will emphasize this again. There are many places in the Word of God where we can look and see how we can know that we are saved. 1 John just gives us a perfect outline of how we can see this in reality in our life. But chapter 3, in verses 1 and 3, we see how we have received a new nature. Verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God, such as we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. When we gave our lives to Jesus, a major change happened in our life. We have become, as this passage tells us, children of God. Our nature was completely changed. Who we are, the fiber of everything that we are, completely changed. And being a child of God should give us a sense of awe and wonder. Think about this. God is perfect and He is holy. And yet when we come to Him in faith and we trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. And the love that God has shown to us in doing that, in placing this reality on our life that we are now a child of God, of God. Being a child of God is not just a title being placed over us like a name tag. It is literally who we are as people. It's who we are as humans. It's who we are as Christians that we have now become children of God. And there's an identity crisis that's happening all across the world. But especially here in America, we look at people wondering and asking these questions of, what does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be human? And, and so many people do not have their identity in the right place. So many people have their identity of themselves. What defines who they are in things that will never last? People find their identity in things that are going to come up short, that are going to disappoint them. And as what they find their identity in continues to disappoint them, it leaves them hurt upon hurt upon hurt. And it's leaving them in such a state of brokenness that seems like nothing can fix it. What makes a person valuable? What what makes who you are who you are? And society is trying to define that for you. You just look at how media tries to shape our thinking and tries to shape our worldview of how we see ourselves because people are defined in what ways? Economic status, how much money you have, what is your financial success, your academic success, what school did you go to, what degrees do you have behind your name, what jobs you have and climbing the ladder and and, and seeking after the American dream and then trying to uh, be be woke and 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 make sure that you are are contributing to society in just the way that you're supposed to and how you're supposed to do it and say the exact things that you're supposed to say and if you don't, then you are labeled in all different kinds of ways that are negative. And we are being shaped by culture on what it means to be a valuable person in life. And if you don't support certain things, if you don't support certain ideas or certain people, then you are viewed as an invaluable person. That is the danger of what our culture is trying to implement into our life. But as a Christian, we have to be grounded in who we are. We have to have our identity found solely in what God has to say about us. If we seek our identity in anything but Jesus, we will come up short. We will be left broken because only Jesus is the one who gives us this identity that we are to be found in as believers. And as a child of God, our nature has been changed. He has put His divine nature into our lives. How beautiful this is. Think about Second Peter 1 verse 4. For by these He is granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. God has given us so many promises in our life. So many promises. And and then he goes on to say, So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world by lust. We share in God's divine nature as children of God. That God has changed who we are. It's been said so often, if there is no change in your life after salvation, then there is something strange. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are completely made new in our relationship with Jesus who you were before you got saved, who you were before you gave your life to Jesus is no more. It is what Jesus and who Jesus says we are in Him. As a Christian, we don't have to seek to fit in into culture. We should not desire to be fitting in into the culture's ideas, into the culture's ways, into the, into the way that the world is trying to shape us. Jesus rejected the culture. Jesus came in not to just bring peace, but to bring a sword. And we should not try to be comfortable in the society that we live in because this world is not our home. We have a new nature that is found in us. We live in the world, but we should not be of the world. Our lives as children of God are defined as being made like Jesus. We represent Jesus. We are ambassadors of Christ to proclaim the good news to all the world and how we live and what we say and and the ideas that we have that shape our mind lead us and guide us into how we represent Jesus. And there is a future promise for us that we will be fully made like Jesus. And we don't know what exactly this is going to be looking like, but we are promised a, a glorified body and that we are promised that the, the work that Jesus has began in us will be completed uh, as when, when we get to heaven. And we will see from God's perspective all that He was doing in our life and seeing how it was shaping us into the image of His Son. And no matter what society tells you, no matter how they treat you, you can rest in that you are a child of God. That that is where your identity is found. Not in what the culture tells you you should be or can be or could be, but in what Jesus says that you are. That you are a child of the King. Number seven, a true Christian cannot live in sin. A true Christian cannot live in sin. Now this one is very similar to what we discussed in the last episode, that we cannot ignore sin. But it takes it a step further in that we cannot live in sin. And we will break this down and, and see what this is talking about. This is found in uh, 1 John chapter 3 also, but in verses 4-9, through 9, and continuing on with us having a new nature. So now that's going to change, not just how we identify ourselves and, and what Jesus says and who Jesus says we are, but it's now going to change how we live out this Christian life. So verse four, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he... He is born of God. The beginning of, of, of this idea begins in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him that Jesus has now made us a child of God and that when He appears, we will see Him just as He is. We n- are now told that this hope that we have, that we are focused on, we are purified because of that. We seek after purity because of Jesus is pure. If we're going to be made like Jesus, we also have to live a pure life. Now, what this is talking about is that when we sin, we will not be staying and practicing that sin. And I'll explain what I mean by that, so bear with me. Hang on. But salvation frees us from the bondage of sin in our life. We are held under bondage of sin until we give it over to Jesus. And in John's day, there was this group called the Successionists, and they were claiming to know God, to be followers of Yahweh, but they were not living in accordance to what God's Word had to say. They had their own ideas. They had their own thoughts. And and that defines so many professing Christians. So many people Proclaim to know God. Proclaim to be disciples of Jesus. Proclaim to be faithful church members or faithful churchgoers or, or, or Bible-believing Christians. Evangelical Christian, if you want to phrase it that way. And yet, do not live out what God's Word has to say. And a Christian has to take sin seriously. We've seen this twice now so far in, in, in 1 John. Because sin no longer defines who we are as believers. We're defined as being children of God. And because of that, we have this new nature inside of us that changes the way that we live. A person who sins does what is wicked. And sin is wickedness. That's what, that's what John is saying here. The idea of lawlessness is wickedness. And as John insists, we must take sin seriously. It cannot be taken lightly in our life. The sin that we have, because the Bible doesn't say that for all have sinned until you give your life to Jesus. For all have sinned and fallen short. We all still sin. No matter who we are, we are sinners. But as believers, we have this new nature that we don't become sinless, but we sin less. And this passage is not talking about perfection because there's no way that we can reach perfection. But we should be striving after this idea of being purified. It's the thought that you may have heard of before, this big word in theology called sanctification. It's the moment, it's the process from the moment that when we got saved, God is working on us to shape us and to mold us into his image. And part of that is that. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, and we, we want to change. We want to be different. We will, we will seek after reconciliation. But here's how so many people look at sin. Everyone's doing it, so what's the big deal? Or we take sin lightly, or we just think that what we're doing isn't sin. But just because something is socially accepted does not make it right. Jesus came to destroy the power of sin in our life. We don't have to live in that sin any longer. The cross frees us from the power of sin in our life. When we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we are turned from that sin and we turn to Jesus. There's this phrase that happens very frequently throughout John's letter, and it's abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ. It is to live in Christ Because we know Jesus, because we have been changed by the cross, we can live in His strength. The difference is that a true Christian knows Jesus personally. A counterfeit Christian may talk about God and be involved in religious activities, but not really know Jesus. A knowledge of Jesus is not just these facts that we have It is a personal experience of who He is that changes who we are. And a Christian will not desire to live in sin because the love of God is in their life. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it shows where I have failed, where I have messed up, and where God wants me to be at And he has given us his word, everything that we need for all the good works that he desires for us to do. We just have to trust him, turn from our selfishness, turn from our sin, and completely rely on his power and his strength to live this Christian life. Because the Christian life is impossible without the power of Jesus. But we have the power of the cross, the one who was raised from the dead, conquered death, we can have victory over our sin. Number eight, a true Christian loves hearing God's Word taught. First John chapter 4 verse 6 tells us this, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Right before this, John is talking about the Antichrist. And this is not the Antichrist that we think of from the book of Revelation or from how it's been portrayed in Left Behind series with the character Nikolai. This is not the Antichrist in the end times. This is Antichrist. And it is anyone who is opposed to the things of God. It is anyone anti-Jesus. It is a person who does not love the things of Jesus. Another test is being presented here in that how we respond to the teaching and preaching of God's Word, that we will desire to hear God's Word taught. And we will not be opposed to the things of Scripture. And Scripture gives us everything we need to stay true to the faith. Scripture gives us everything we need to make sure that we are living the life God's called us to live. Romans 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. And that very same way that we came into faith, into salvation, through God's Word, is the very way that we grow, and it's through God's Word. And if we have faith through God's Word, then we grow in our faith through God's word. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is 1 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Understanding scripture gives us all we need for every good work. And understanding scripture gives us all we need to live a godly life. And it is through the preaching and teaching of God's Word that we can do this. We have God's word for ourselves to have our quiet time and to have Bible study for ourselves. And there should be a sense as well that we should desire to to know God more through his word being taught to us. If you think back with me in Acts chapter two, the very first church that began After Peter preached an amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. Uh, They were all pierced to the heart. A powerful story, a powerful sermon. Then it tells us the the birth of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is where the focus will be for what I'm talking about here. It tells us this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Into to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Focus with me on the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, it was everything that Jesus had taught them. It was expounding on the scriptures and explaining how Jesus is the Messiah. And so, they were teaching from the word of God. The early church desired to be in the scriptures. And a Christian's life will be characterized by desiring to hear the word of God spoken and to be in the scriptures for themselves. Number nine, a true Christian loves other people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Everyone desires to be loved. It is important for us to feel important to somebody else. How do I know this? There's estimated over 2,500 online dating services. People are seeking day after day to be loved by somebody. And an evidence of being a true Christian is having a genuine love for people who are created in that very image of God. One of the signs that we have passed from death to life to being a new creation is that we are marked by a love for people. And this love is so much more than a feeling because our culture has defined love in such a way that it is a fleeting thing. That love can come and go. But this love that we have for people is committed in the love that God has for us. There's four words in Scripture for love. There's storge, which is talking about empathy love. There's phileo, references friendly love, where we get the word Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. There's eros, which is romantic love or sexual love. And then there's agape, unconditional love. And this love has often been defined as, for many theologians as divine love, God's love. But why is love so important in Scripture? Why does God place such an emphasis on love? Because if love is of God, and God is also in 1 John defined as love, then those who claim to be born of God and claim to know God must be able to love one another. Our love for God is proven in how we love other people. Hate and love are completely opposites. We cannot hate a person and at the same time say that we love them. You also cannot hate somebody that you pray for. If you're struggling with loving somebody who has hurt you or done something wrong to you or something that you, somebody you really just don't like, pray for them. You cannot hate somebody that you pray for. And we are continually hurt by people, but we have to overcome that hurt with love. Love conquers all. But that love is not just this emotional feeling that we have. It is knowing that because God has shown us such a great love in sending Jesus for us, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God has greatly shown his love for us by sending Jesus, that very same love should flow from our life and be given to other people because he sent his son into the world so that we may know love and we may be people of love. And God loved us by giving Jesus as the propitiation of our sins. And so we must love other people. Lastly, in this two-part series, number 10, A True Christian Experiences Answered Prayer. This is found in First John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, which reads, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests with which we have asked from Him. An important result of us having this assurance of our salvation is having the confidence and the boldness to go to God in prayer. There is a promise in this, that God hears us in respect to what what we ask of Him. But there's a condition in this. We must ask for the will of God. So many times our, our prayers are selfish. If you look at what most people pray for, if you look at what maybe you yourself pray for, or even when, when I look at my prayer life, I, I see that too many times, Way too frequently, my prayers are like treating God as a genie, that I just want to get what I wish for and that's all I care about. But our prayer life and praying to God, this this idea of communication to the God of the universe is so deeper than that. It's so much more than just getting a wish list for Christmas from God. Uh, prayer is aligning our will with God's will. The model prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6 and also found in Luke 11 reads this, and I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying here because he helps us in how we should pray. The model prayer. Verse 9 of chapter 6, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, giving God all the glory, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is freely and fully submitting to God's will and allowing God to accomplish that in your life in whatever that looks like. And through prayer, we make ourselves instruments of God to accomplish His will on earth. And as Christians, when we pray to God in this way, we will see answered prayer. We will see God work in marvelous ways. We will see God do incredible things in our life. But we have to have faith in what He says. The problem with a lot of our prayers is that the answer He gives us, we don't like. The answer of maybe yes, no, or wait, or not now, we don't like the answer that He gives. And sometimes the problem is not necessarily that God doesn't answer our prayers. It's that the answer that he does give us, we're not okay with. But God promises as believers and followers of Jesus that we will have answered prayer. And when we ask for God's will in our life, he promises to give that to you. James is very clear in that. That if we lack wisdom, if we lack understanding for our life, that God gives it generously and so freely without holding back. But we have to do it in faith. Because he goes on to describe that faith, or, or, or doubting, not having faith, rather is like a sea that's, that the waves are being tossed to and fro through the wind. And that basically he is telling us that doubt and not having faith in God when he tells us how we should live and the wisdom that he does give us, the reason why we have to ask in faith is because we can ask God for wisdom. But if we don't have faith in him, then the wisdom and the direction for our lives that he does give us, we aren't going to follow because we don't trust him. But when we trust Jesus and serve Him with all our hearts, and love Him with every fiber of our being, then what He says and the wisdom that He gives, we will follow. An assurance of salvation is for every Christian. And I hope you see that, and I hope you are encouraged in your walk with Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to have assurance of your salvation, but if you're listening to this podcast and you are not sure that you have given your life to Jesus, whatever you are doing, you can make that happen right now. You do not have to go to a church service. You don't have to go to an altar or to a pastor. You can make that right by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short. And the paycheck and the result, the consequence of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. But Romans 5, 8, a beautiful verse. But God proved His love. God demonstrated His love for us. Even while we were sinners, even while we were broken and messed up, jacked up people, He sent His Son to die for us. God's love was proven to you. You are loved by God. And Romans 10 gives us a wonderful promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you may be asking the question, how can I be saved? What does it look like for me to give my life to Jesus? The Bible talks about repenting of our sin. And we repent of two things. We repent of our sin, the things that we have failed against God, our rebellion of, uh, against God, but we also repent of our self-righteousness. We turn from ourself. Many times the greatest enemy is me, is you, is yourself. We put our faith not in ourselves, not in what the world or culture is telling us, but in Jesus alone. But we have to turn from that sin and do a complete 180 turn and trust in Jesus, the finished work that He had He had accomplished on the cross. If that's you, you can do that right now where you are. I'm so thankful that we can have assurance of our salvation. And I praise God that as He works in our life, and as we get into God's Word, and as we become firmly planted in the Scriptures, that we grow in our relationship with him. He shapes us into who he desires us to be. And it's not based on what we have done. It's not based in who we are, but it's based in how God sees us, that we are sealed and we are stamped and we delivered for heaven because of the finished work of Jesus. I love you guys. And I'm so thankful that you joined me here on Firmly Planted Podcast.